It's Communion Sunday, and I'm going to invite all of you who are watching online, uh, if you haven't done so already, just to have some juice and bread available. As as I close our, our message today, we're just going to uh, walk into uh, uh, a little bit of time of worship uh, through communion. And... Uh, just want to say good morning to all of you. Uh, actually, I should just say good day because some of you watch at all sorts of different times. Um, it's the second week of Advent. We lit the peace candle uh, as a part of our Advent tradition. And as a, a church family, what we're doing right now is we're uh, looking at what it means to look up instead of, you know, give up. And today we want to look up and find the peace that we need for these turbulent days. And we're kind of using one of my uh, favorite psalms, uh, Psalm 8, as our theme. When I look uh, at the night sky, when I look up, right? And see the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars you set in place. What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them a little lower than God and, and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything you made, Lord. You are amazing. This week it was Tuesday morning as the sun rose over Fort McMurray. It was so, so spectacular. The waves of pink that just washed over houses and roads was simply breathtaking. Tuesday morning was a Psalm 8 experience. Any of you catch that? Any of you? It was awesome. But yeah, before we get into looking up, can I ask first, how are you doing? How are the kids doing? especially those older kids who are doing school online right now. I heard of one Zoom class here in town of 50 kids, and I have enough trouble with five in a Zoom meeting. In fact, I managed to totally destroy one of those Zoom meetings this week. Just an awesome crash and burn. Uh, the meeting should have worked, but it didn't, and nobody could get in. But anyways, on so many fronts, these are continuing to be challenging days. And today in our Look Up, it's Christmas series, we want to look at the story of Joseph, the fiancé and soon-to-be husband of Mary. We, we want to look at how Joseph lost all sense of peace and equilibrium as he was suddenly devastated uh, by his girlfriend uh, um, and, and suffered deep personal hurt and a broken heart. And when I think about a broken heart, my mind always goes back to a story that I've told before of my first broken heart. I was six years of age. It was the summer before going into grade one, and I, as a good Catholic Irish boy in Montreal, fell in love with a feisty English uh, girl named Margaret Black, whose father just happened to be the local Baptist pastor. Some of you have to remember the story because it's awesome. At least I think it's awesome. You see the big, cool kids in the neighborhood, and more so, I used to watch a lot of this um, um, cartoon called Archie on TV. I, I know most of you don't have a clue who Archie, Betty, Veronica, uh, Reggie, and Jughead, who all went to Riverdale High are. I'll, I'll just assure you that they were cool dudes, and it was a great cartoon. So like Archie, I figured that I needed a girlfriend, and Margaret fit the bill, and I did really like her. And so we consummated our relationship and made it official by having a little kiss in the bushes on the edge of the property where I lived. I saw that on Archie too. What I didn't understand was the guilt and shame a six-year-old Baptist girl would experience from a kiss in the bushes. Those of you raised Baptist probably understand, the rest of you not so much. She confessed her sin to her parents. 
And her pastor dad went into action and forbade her from ever talking to me ever again, except to come and to tell me that it was all over and we could never see each other ever again. Dutifully, she came and told me that because she was a Christian and I was a Catholic. Whoa, I kind of thought at that point I was a Christian too, but not according to Margaret. Because she was a Christian and I was a Catholic, we were not equally yoked. At six, I didn't have a clue what that meant, but I remembered the phrase, okay? We were unequally yoked, and we could not see each other ever again, and she walked away. And that was it. I was stunned. I was heartbroken. She only lived four houses down the street for me, and for the next three years that I lived on that street, I barely ever even caught a glimpse of her. And it wasn't until I was in a high school youth group at the People's Church in Toronto that I found out what being unequally yoked meant as I heard a blistering message on why Christians could only date and marry Christians. And Margaret flashed to mine, and I rehearsed the six-year-old hurt, and I wondered at the time as well if Christians were a little crazy. And, and I will say, there is good, good reason for a believer to marry a believer. Much wisdom there, but at the time, it just all seemed incredibly bizarre and strange to me. So that's my first experience of love and a broken heart. A tender story of six-year-old love unrequited. I'm waiting for the Women's Network to come and ask me for the story, but it doesn't have the required happily ever after ending. And years later, I would meet the girl of my dreams and just live awesomely ever after. Uh, She's watching online, so you don't get to see her blush over at the corner right now. But I tell that story to introduce the story of Joseph and his broken heart. And the truth is, uh, some of you are coming into this Christmas with hurts, some of you with broken hearts. Right now, relationships are being stretched and tested to the limits, and some are breaking under the pressure. What we need this Christmas is less stress and more peace. And the way to get that peace is to get our eyes off of what is creating the stress. Look up and get your eyes on Jesus. Let's look at the real-life situation Joseph found himself in. When you look closely, again, the Christmas story, it's not all sweetness. It was pretty gritty. It was a, it was a lot less Hollywood. I, I wanted to say a lot less Hallmark, a lot less the Women's Channel, but I don't want to get into too much trouble with my wife, so let's go more generic and just say that Christmas story is a lot less Hollywood and a lot more human, really human. Let's start with how the Apostle Matthew tells it. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. So the first thing Matthew wants us to know is that at his core, Joseph is a good man. Matthew's not trying to downplay the fact that Joseph is fully human, that he's fully a guy with all of these guy emotions that come when you're flipped out in love with a girl. And guy emotions, they're complex and they can be a bit rough at times and volatile. But Matthew first wants us to see that Joseph is a really decent guy, that he had these guy emotions under control. It's not that he didn't have them, it's just he had them under control. When he found out that Mary was pregnant, he, he wanted to do the right thing and be a gentleman. 
Remember the phrase we sometimes use, gracious barbarian. Well, Joseph is definitely gracious, and, and he takes that barbarian side of him, and he keeps it under control and rightly channeled. Now, in doing the right thing, Joseph knew that in good conscience, he couldn't marry his fiancée. He couldn't marry a woman who was already pregnant. In the Jewish world, sex outside of marriage was a capital sin. It could even cost you your life at times. And Joseph didn't think the law was bad. He, he understood and respected the law. In his mind, she was outside the law, and he couldn't gloss over that. He couldn't just make it look like he did it, that he was the lawbreaker as well, that he got her pregnant. Even still, he didn't want to throw Mary to the religious wolves uh, who would often take the law into their own hands. For the sake of the purity of faith, they, they, were, they, they had good motivations, but... Because of his love for Mary, he was unwilling to expose her to public humiliation and shaming that comes from a broken engagement. And let me tell you, that would have been a big deal in those days. It would have ruined Mary in that culture. This is hard for some of us to understand today, right? Our, our culture has drifted so far from the standard that sex is designed to be reserved for one man, one woman in a committed marriage relationship, but it, it's still the biblical standard. It's just not the standard that so many of us have grown up with or even lived with. So I get the shock and shame of this is a little harder for some of us to understand. But in Mary's day, this was huge. This was devastating. And, and so Joseph, a good man, planned a quieter, more compassionate way that he could get out of the engagement and try not to hurt Mary too much. It, if he could, you know, lessen Mary's hurt in any way, he would give it a try. Friends, that says a lot about Joseph. But still, he's a 100% guy with guy emotions, and he doesn't believe Mary's story, not one bit of it. And he's really disappointed that Mary won't tell the truth. I, I bet he's thinking uh, she's probably trying to protect the guy who did get her pregnant. And that really, that Mary doesn't want Joseph to know who the guy is because that might be bad news for the guy. It might not be pretty. I mean, the culture back then would have given Joseph a lot of permission to deal with this guy even physically. I mean, according to the law, that guy could be pummeled with stones to death. So Joseph and a few friends with the backing of the Jewish law could deal with that guy. So he's assuming, yeah, Mary's just covering for him. And that leaves Joseph feeling hurt. He's feeling betrayed big time. His heart is broken. His world is falling apart. And he's not buying any of this cute story that the Holy Spirit came upon her and got her pregnant. Come on, Mary, some invisible guy made you pregnant. Nice try. Not a chance. I'm not buying it. Male emotion when it comes to love is a complicated thing. A lot of men stereotypically don't handle their emotions well. They get angry, they act out. Now Joseph has all this emotion, but as a good man, he keeps it under control. It's not that he doesn't feel the emotion, he's just committed to keeping it under control. So for us guys, Joseph is a good model to look to. And then what is even more amazing about Joseph is he, he's very aware of the shame that all of this could bring to Mary. He understands how this could be so destructive to Mary. This is where you see true love at work despite a broken heart. G Joseph really wants to minimize the hurt to Mary. That's huge, right? But still, the bottom line is the relationship is over. What has happened is happened, and life has taken a drastic turn for the worse. 
And that's where it was stayed, uh, apart from God turning up and grabbing Joseph's attention and, and, and getting Joseph to look up. But what if Joseph had refused to look up? I mean, think about that. Joseph would have missed out on the greatest blessing of his life, getting to be the stepfather of the Son of God. He got to be the dad of Jesus, like, incredible. Let's go back to uh, how Matthew, uh, Apostle Matthew describes all of this. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the angel speaks to Joseph's stress. The angel speaks to all of the tumult and confusion that is whirling in Joseph's heart. And the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What Mary has said is true. It is the Holy Spirit who got her pregnant. And the child she's bearing is actually the promised Savior. The angel spoke to the wild emotions that Joseph was experiencing. I mean, fear, anger, confusion. And with the fear, anger, and confusion, a total unwillingness to believe Mary at all. Think about it. I mean, you're engaged. You think you know her deeply. You, you've got these wild hopes of one awesome future together. You've got these incredible dreams about what your life is going to be. And then your fiancé drops a bombshell. I'm pregnant. I don't know how it happened. God did it. Even in these days where sexual ethics are far from God's original design, far from how God calls us to live so that we can flourish, and I'll save all of that for another message someday. Even with how our culture thinks about sexuality these days and uh, wherever all of you may be at in your own journey with sexuality, you can appreciate how devastating it is when you discover your partner has secretly been unfaithful to you. And for Joseph, a good man, he's still an ordinary man, dare I say a regular Joe, and because he's a regular Joe, this news just sends him on a tailspin and uh, his life just flips like upside down and the future he counted on is God. Let's continue with uh, the Apostle Matthew's telling of the story. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So no sex until Jesus was born. I guess when, you're married, when your wife is pregnant with the Son of God, you play it in safe until it seems okay. This too takes a good man. But here's what I want you to see. It's essentially the same thing that we saw last week with Mary. Same deal. When Joseph got his eyes off of the problem, off of his feelings, his emotions, his hurt, off of betrayal, and he looked to God, everything changed. His feelings changed. His emotions changed. Everything changed for Joseph when he focused on God's plan. Once Joseph realized that this was a God thing, that the God actually miraculously turned up in the life of Mary, he, he settled down. I mean, he became flooded with, with peace. He, he swallowed his fear of what others might think, and he took Mary to be his wife. Joseph does the right thing. He marries his pregnant fiance. In today's terms, we might call it a shotgun wedding or maybe a slingshot wedding back in that day. I don't know. 
Whatever it was, it was messy, okay? And when Joseph got his eyes off of the mess and onto Jesus, everything changed. Friends, whatever it is that's causing hurt in your life right now, whatever relational mess you might be in or might uh, come from, if, if your heart has been broken and it's aching right now, would you get your eyes on Jesus and invite him to flood you with his love and his peace and his healing? Those raw emotions, you know, that still quickly come to the surface. Jesus can bring healing and wholeness. There's an old, old uh, church chorus that goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what we're going to do this morning. With all of this as a background, we're, we're going to celebrate communion together and, and we're going to turn our eyes on Jesus. So we're going to do that. And if you're watching online, this is where I invite you to have bread and juice available so that we can celebrate together. The Apostle Peter, talking about the death of Jesus, uh, um, the death of Jesus that communion is a memorial of. Um, he, he says this, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah as he writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, you have been healed. The hurt, the pain, the mess, the broken hearts that we experience in this life, they are all a product of sin, uh, maybe our own sinful choices, other people's sinful choices, or maybe just the reality of living in a sin-wrecked world. By his wounds, they are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. When we get our eyes on Jesus when we invite him to come into our lives and do his healing work in us, when we turn from our sin and seek his power to live well, our feelings change. Our emotions change. And the peace that passes all understanding can flood our hearts and minds. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you, uh, where you are seated or where you are at home, to take bread and I'll pray and we'll get our eyes on Jesus and invite him to come and do his work in us and, and then we'll partake all together. After that, I'll take juice and I'll pray and we'll keep our eyes on Jesus and we'll ask him to wash us with his blood and then we'll partake together. So friends, uh, grab a piece of bread. You know, just break a, a piece off for yourself or take a piece from what we distributed to you as you came in this morning. Because this bread represents the body of Jesus nailed to the cross of payment in sin. For your sin, my sin, the sin of the world, the, the sin that makes the world sometimes a very painful place. But because of Jesus... Our sin has been overcome and our healing and wholeness is now possible. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I, I give you thanks for your broken body on the cross. That your brokenness provides for my healing. As I eat this bread, I invite you anew to come into my life to fill me with your spirit and to bring healing. Heal my hurt. Heal my ache. The mess that I sometimes live in and the mess that COVID has been creating. Thank you that you've overcome the power of sin and darkness so that I can experience the overcoming power because of the cross. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
Let's eat bread together as an act of worship and remembrance. And maybe just take a brief moment as you do to give thanks to God on your own. Let us worship. Juice or the wine represents the blood of Jesus that pours out from his body as he hung on the cross for you and me. That that blood brings cleansing to our lives. That blood empowers us, empowers us to live differently. The Holy Spirit activates the work of the blood in our lives. So let's give thanks for the juice and the blood and all that it represents. Would you bow with me for prayer? Father, I am so, so thankful for the life-cleansing power of the blood. As I drink this juice, I invite you through your spirit to wash me clean and empower me to live well for you. That I would not only experience your healing in my life, but that you would use me to be an agent of healing in other people's lives. I pray all this and I give thanks to you, Jesus. Amen. So let's drink together as an act of worship and remembrance. And again, take a moment to give thanks to Jesus.